0: My sister was, mm-hmm. a babysitter. Is that why she has a, a saddle-shaped head? That was rude. I'm just kidding. not Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Roy.
1: And I'm your host, Katie. Today we are talking about Richard Beganwald.
0: And uh, where are we going for this one, Katie?
1: This one is in New Jersey.
0: So we're outside the Four Corners states for this one. Ooh. We are. And uh, did, was this a recommended episode?
1: Yes, this was recommended by Mike.
0: Mike from New Jersey?
1: Yes, he is from Jersey. So right now, Mike's dog, Peep, has a what they think is a cancerous tumor on her leg. So they're asking for donations, and we will link their GoFundMe in the show notes.
0: Yeah, guys, go show him some love. We do love pets, and this guy obviously loves his pets. So if you guys have anything to help, that'd be great. Always appreciated. Always appreciated. Thank you for the episode suggestion, Mike. And we hope that Peep feels better ASAP. What book did you use for your research this week, Katie?
1: It was the Jersey Shore Thrill Killer by John E. O'Rourke.
0: And uh, how was that one?
1: Descriptive.
0: Descriptive. Those are your favorite, right, when they get real descriptive with the crimes?
1: I know what every 1950s New Jersey police station looked like. There was lots of big letters involved on the buildings.
0: And they described those letters in detail?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It said police.
0: Oh, police So this book is very descriptive, so we're going to get into it. Where are we starting off this week, Katie?
1: Richard Beganwald, also known as Dick, was born <laughs> August 24th, 1940 in Rockland County, New York. He was raised by a violent, alcoholic father and an extremely passive mother. She began to notice early on that something wasn't quite right with Beaconwald, and her fears were confirmed when he tried to burn their house down at just five years old.
0: How did he try to burn the house down at just five years old? Because you know, you got to be able to get access to a match or something. I mean, this is the 50s.
1: Right? Everybody smoked cigarettes. I'm sure there was matches. A plenty.
0: Yeah, they just they didn't have warnings like that. Don't let your kids play with matches and shit. What, so was he successful to burn the home down or no?
1: No. He was taken to the Children's Psychiatric Hospital where he stayed from ages 5 to 8, only being allowed to return home to visit infrequently, and only for the weekend. According to O'Rourke, it was during these visits home that Beganwald began torturing animals.
0: So he tried to burn the family house down, and he tortures animals, so that's two-thirds of the McDonald triad, right? hmm And did he ever pee his bed? Did he ever round it out? The descriptive book didn't tell us this? No,
1: that was one of the things he did not describe. His behavior was described as bizarre in his medical reports, and he began to drink, gamble, and smoke cigarettes at eight years old.
0: Like some... Old evil world version of the little rascals this eight-year-old just smoking cigars and shit wandering around being a fucking ruffian eight-year-old popeye basically basically guys i'm gonna burn your house down
1: <laughs> his behavior somehow regressed while he was at the children's hospital so he was transferred to new york bellevue hospital there he was officially diagnosed with schizophrenia and treated via electroshock therapy
0: what good does shocking uh, a schizophrenic eight-year-old do
1: that's how we thought we could cure everything back then At nine, his mother realized he could never be allowed into society and sent him to the state school for boys, a reform school for delinquent children. Doctors there noted that he suffered from intense night terrors and thoughts of death, both his own and that of others. It was at the state school that his criminal career began, as he was accused of theft and inciting escapes.
0: Now, inciting escapes. What the fuck does that mean?
1: He encouraged other people to escape.
0: But he just didn't escape himself, he just like told people how to do it? He's selling his plans to escape. Uh, There's more money to be made. He's like an architect. Yeah. Okay. It's like, you go in this tunnel, you knock out this brick, you had 13 steps north, boom.
1: When he was allowed home to visit his mother, he would steal money from her and their neighbors' homes. At the age of 11, he set another fire, this time not to a building, but to himself.
0: Like on purpose? Like he intentionally set himself on fire? I believe so. Wow, okay.
1: Apparently after this, he calmed down as he went through the next five years with no notable incidents.
0: What did he do while he was on his little vacation from stealing everybody's shit and trying to burn the neighborhood down?
1: He was just at the state school.
0: Just, just hanging chilling.
1: out? Yeah. I mean, they gave you jobs and shit. You were basically like a little farmer <laughs> while you were there.
0: <laughs> just out in the fields all the time?
1: I mean, yeah, they made you work. They yeah. were trying to teach you life skills so you okay. could be a successful individual. At 16, he graduated 8th grade and was released from a state school to attend high school. He attended for two years before dropping out and moving to Tennessee, where he stole a car and was subsequently arrested after trying to cross into Kentucky.
0: So despite his mother's attempts to keep him from society, he won and was released?
1: I Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had very much improved, and they thought that he could be
0: Did he successful. improve successful?
1: Yeah. Oh, after on. this, he was literally never treated for schizophrenia.
0: He never took medication. Couldn't that be the problem to everything we're about to come into? Everyone
1: described him as totally normal when he was in prison. They said that he never showed any signs of being schizophrenic.
0: Mm. So the takeaway here is that electroshock therapy works great. Or do you think it was a misdiagnosis of early onset sociopathy or psychopathic tendencies?
1: It's possible. It might have been just...
0: Maybe he just had a little ADD and they said he was schizophrenic. Because back then everything probably just fell into a couple categories.
1: In December 1958, Biegenwald was out of prison and had met James Sparnroft, his only friend and soon-to-be accomplice. Sparnroft would later tell police the exact moment he knew Biegenwald was dangerous. They'd gotten a bottle of liquor and were hanging out with the woman they'd just met. While they were just casually sitting and drinking, Beaganwald turned to the woman and slammed the liquor bottle into the side of her head.
0: Did she die?
1: No, she was okay, I think.
0: Damn, that's crazy.
1: I think they just knocked her out and they were like, God, I've been walked away. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, we'll leave her there. I remember the exact moment that I knew Rory was dangerous. When, what was that? <laughs> he tricked me into drinking a whole bottle of syrup. He super troopered me, but not in such a good way.
1: How was that dangerous?
0: Because I was very sick for the rest of the night. And I realized that this man's a sociopath. How
1: did he trick you?
0: He was being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to be a big swinging dick. And, uh... I don't know about that. Yeah, he was being a bully. No, me and Rory had a bet, I believe, about which one of us could drink a whole bottle of syrup faster. I did this because he was being a dick. Had... So
1: you had a bet he didn't trick you. He offered you money and you said you would do it?
0: No. But then he didn't drink his, basically. So
1: we lost the bet. I mean, you could have done the same thing. He didn't trick you into doing it.
0: Jake drank his in four chugs and then got all mad because <laughs> I held mine to the list with like I was drinking and didn't actually drink anything. And then he why got really you, sick.
1: Why did you have two bottles of syrup?
0: I actually don't know why we had two <laughs> bottles of syrup. <laughs> French, French toast sticks, we I don't know. French toast sticks, you see those and chicken and waffles all the time. Ooh, chicken and waffles. Chicken nuggets and Eggo waffles. Yeah, it's not as fancy as it sounded.
1: <laughs> Knowing he may be next, Barnroth continued to hang out with Biegenwald, even when Beganwald asked him if he could get a gun on December 15th. Sparnroft obliged, borrowing a 12-gauge shotgun from a friend and helping saw off the barrel. He even prepped a kit, gathering ammo, black mascara, a saw, a flashlight, jumper wires, and clips for hot cars. Around 8 p.m., Beganwald got off the ferry to Staten Island and went into a bar, taking multiple shots to prepare himself for the robbery.
0: Just getting a good, li- good amount of liquid courage built up so he can go do some robbing.
1: Around 9.15, he left, wandering around the Port Richmond area until he found a car to steal. Sparnroft stepped off the ferry at a quarter to ten and walked around until he spotted Biegenwald. They drove around for a while, looking for a store to rob that wasn't too busy.
0: Really, Sparnroft and Biegenwald, it sounds like a lawyer firm or something. It doesn't sound like a, like thieves. Yeah, like a couple of robbery duo. Like, Have you been charged with a DUI? Did you run over a little old lady while you were drunk? Call Sparnroft and Beganwald.
1: It sounds like it's made for the fifties, Jimmy. Yeah, I do Yeah, it, don't it know really why.
0: does. <laughs> so they were looking for a store that wasn't too busy, and then they just like went into a Sears because it wasn't busy.
1: At one point, they stopped and applied full blackface to Veganwald and darkened his bright red hair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now here's my thing: Does blackface actually work for crime? Not when you're a ginger, <laughs> like especially, seriously, I don't like think. You, you. It does the. It doesn't make you look like a different race. It literally looks well, like a, no, makes it's... you look like a painted white person.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're looking it's... a little
0: ashy, sorry.
1: <laughs> That's true, but they didn't do it so he looked like a different race. They just put just a high oh, ass. they just, blacked he just completely out his face. blacked out his face. yeah. they used a knife to cut a hole into a trench coat to allow him to keep his finger on the trigger at all times.
0: I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that that hole was already there. dirty movie theaters were a thing back then and they were living in new york so imagine his that hole was already there sarnroft was just like hey man that's a pretty sweet hole you got there for for getting your trigger finger out yeah trigger finger you're right that's what i use it for
1: their first choice a candy store was too busy so they kept driving until they ended up in front of a small grocery store
0: both high paying targets uh, based on how much candy I've seen Rory eat, he's not being sarcastic.
1: The store was owned by Stephen Slodowski, a well-liked man who also owned his own law practice on the island. Stephen was closing up the store for the night when Begenwald walked inside.
0: Only Begenwald went inside?
1: Yes. Sparnroft was the getaway driver.
0: Ah. Was he a good driver? Was he like Bullet? What were they driving?
1: It was maybe a really old Caprice. I don't know.
0: That was pre-muscle cars, really, huh? Whatever it was, it was slow as shit, I guess. Faster than walking.
1: He stood in front of the counter with the shotgun out of his coat, startling Stephen when he stood up from behind the counter. It's unclear what exactly happened inside the store, but at one point, Beganwald fired, shooting and killing Stephen from four feet away. Beganwald took his wallet but left the register untouched, meaning he more than likely just wanted to murder someone rather than commit a robbery. He ran outside and jumped into the getaway car, and he and Sparnraft fled into the night. Four men outside the store heard the shot and watched as Biegenwald jumped into the car. They memorized the plate, which helped police find the car abandoned by the two men. Officers arrived a little before 10 and found Stephen lying in a pool of blood, surrounded by pieces of flesh and bone fragments on the walls behind him. Around 3 a.m., they found the car and began dusting for prints. It had been wiped clean, but Biegenwald had missed one single fingerprint.
0: So after he went and got an entire like crime bag full of shit together to just do his rob, robbing and his murdering, he didn't get any gloves?
1: Yeah, basically.
0: That's a fail. Rule number one, if you're going to be a robber and a murderer, get gloves.
1: As detectives continued to work on the crime scene into the next day, Beegenwald called Sparnroft and told them they needed to get out of town ASAP. Sparnroft wasn't sure why, as they were careful, and from what he knew, it was just a robbery.
0: Oh boy, was he wrong. How did Beegenwald explain that they didn't make any money from the robbery?
1: I don't think, because Sparnroft wasn't like a career criminal like Beganwald thought he was. And so I didn't, I don't think he really asked any questions. I see. I think yeah. he just drove the car away and was like, all right, good night. See you later.
0: <laughs> well, that was fun. He gave him 20 bucks for gas yeah, and I was like, like, there you go.
1: When Beganwald informed him some things had occurred inside and the man was dead, Sparnroft immediately agreed to leaving. They went to Beganwald's mother's home and retrieved the shotgun before stealing another car and getting on the highway out of Jersey. After driving around for six hours, they found themselves in Maryland with a police cruiser right behind them.
0: I'm guessing that they weren't really that great of drivers.
1: The police that had the description of the men gave it out to basically everyone, and I think they were going off that. I think they were like, there's a guy with red hair. Don't see that often.
0: <laughs> yeah, this okay. was back when the gingers were really, really rare. Uh. So rather than just like call an attorney or something, they just decided to dip out.
1: Yeah, they killed somebody. Yeah. But attorneys don't really usually help you with that.
0: If you get a good one. OJ.
1: Yeah, they didn't have that much money.
0: Back then, you could probably find a penny on the ground, and a penny was worth like ten bucks, so...
1: Beaganwald gripped the shotgun on his lap as the officer lit them up and pulled them over. As the officer approached the car, Beaganwald leaned out the window and fired, grazing his face and knocking him down. He got back up and fired six shots at the car, missing both men with every bullet. Beaconwald floored it, getting away but quickly getting lost on the winding roads.
0: Now, do we know where they were going? Away. Just driving? Yeah. Idiots. Just getting the fuck out of Jersey, boy.
1: The injured officer drove himself to the hospital, radioing a description of the men to the Maryland State Police, who began their search immediately. Just after 2 a.m., a trooper spotted them, rushing ahead of them and setting up a roadblock. Beganwald pulled the car over, but when he was ordered to get out, he opened fire at the trooper, hitting him in the leg. The trooper returned fire and hit Begenwald in the face, who in turn hit the car into drive and rolled into a ditch. Now,
0: was his face all fucked up after that, or did it just, like, graze him?
1: It just grazed him. He had a scar, but...
0: Damn. I saw pictures of this guy, and his face was kind of creepy before that anyways, when he was young. I don't know exactly the time frame, but he was always a creepy-looking dude. I mean, he was a ginger...
1: The trooper was able to kick the gun away, right as backup arrived, who took both men into custody without any further incident. Beganwald, Sparnroft, and the trooper were all taken to the hospital, and New Jersey police received word their murder suspects were in custody.
0: Now, news probably wasn't as fast back then, so I mean, it probably took him a minute to get everything sorted out as to who they were, right?
1: Probably, yeah. They spoke first to Sparnroft, who told them everything, followed by Begenwald, who seemed almost proud to tell the story of what happened. On June 15, 1959, both men pled no contest and were sentenced August 4th, Begenwald to life without Biegenwald to life with possibility of parole and Sparnroft 25 to 30 years. Biegenwald fit into prison life well, making a name for himself quickly. He eventually started working as a welder and making machine parts, but lost his job and landed himself in solitary confinement when he was caught making parts for guns. He spent the rest of his years laying low and was paroled in 1975 after serving 16 years. Beaconwald began working as a painter right after leaving prison. He lived with his mother and met a woman, 16-year-old Diane Marcells.
0: Is a 16-year-old a woman? Maybe in Jersey. How old was he, like 30-something here?
1: He was 35.
0: So, again, a little creepy. Super creepy.
1: I mean, in the 50s, though, I think it was kind of like the norm.
0: Ew. No. (laughs)
1: Or I guess it's 75 now, so it doesn't even... Yeah, that doesn't
0: work. It's still Creep Town. Yeah, he's... That's the name of his game, Creep Town. Yeah.
1: He laid low for two years until 1977 when he picked up a hitchhiking woman and attacked her. She was able to get away and report it to police, who put out a warrant for being involved for attempted rape. He managed to evade arrest until 1980 when he was finally caught and jailed. On advice of his lawyer, Beganwald shaved his bright red hair before going into a lineup, and the woman did not pick him out. With this, charges had to be dropped, and Beganwald was free once again.
0: Seems like someone should have realized that his plan, like his lawyer's plan, right before he's about to go into the lineup, and he just, like, cuts his creepiest, most defining feature.
1: His lawyer didn't, like, straight up tell him to shave his hair off. He basically told him the day before. He was like, hey, you have weird colored hair. And they yes. kind of knew what the other was talking about, and they couldn't really stop it because in the shower that night he just shaved his head.
0: Has anyone ever told you that, Rory? I have creepy hair. Weird colored. I was trying to be polite. No. You do stand out like a sore thumb. If they were playing Where's Rory, it's easy if he's not wearing a hat.
1: Beaconwald was like dark red hair. He wasn't like almost blonde like Rory is.
0: Rory is not, not almost, almost blonde.
1: blonde. I mean, in this light, you look blonde. The only thing
0: insulting to a ginger is to call them blonde. Yeah. Or strawberry blonde. (laughs) I am neither of those things. I have bright orange hair all over my body. I am like an orangutan. Okay, that's enough information. His was
1: like a dark, like a deepish kind of red, and he had like natural highlights, so.
0: His is like an Archie Comics red. Mm -hmm. Mine is more like a hairy orangutan red. (laughs) Well, now that we've addressed the fact that our listeners might not know that Rory's a ginger. And I am a ginger.
1: On January 14th, 1983, two young boys playing in a vacant lot stumbled upon the skeletal remains of a woman wearing unzipped pants, a shirt, and no shoes. Three of the four bullets shot into her head were still inside her skull. Based on the decomposition rate, she had been killed sometime in the summer. The next morning, while reading the paper, a police officer from a neighboring town recognized the description of the body. He was working the missing person case of Anna Marie Olsiewicz? Olsiewicz?
0: Olsiewicz, I think you got... I think you got it. Olswich.
1: Anna Marie Olswich, who'd gone missing after spending the day on the boardwalk in Neptune City. When her friend reported her missing, she gave the same description of her clothes and also mentioned Anna had taken off her shoes because they were hurting her feet. Anna's dental records were requested and it was confirmed to be her. There were no leads into her killer until a woman came forward and cracked the case.
0: Oh, like a, like a, a witness or someone who knew something?
1: hmm Biegenwald and his now-wife, Diane, shared an apartment with Teresa Smith from June to October 1982.
0: Was Diane the 16-year-old?
1: Yes. It's unclear what kind of relationship the three had, with some saying it was between Teresa and Diane, some saying it was between Teresa and Biegenwald, and some saying it was all three. Once Teresa moved out, she came forward to police and told them everything she had seen while living with Beginwald. It started with him teaching her how to shoot, telling her he preferred 22s because they rattled around in the brain. One of his prison friends, Darren Fitzgerald, lived in the apartment across the hall from them, and the two would meet in the basement and make homemade bombs and weapons.
0: Now, for what purpose? Were they just like nerds about bombs and stuff?
1: Yeah, they had a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook, uh, so I think they were those people that were like, "I have this book, let's make bombs."
0: Anarchy in America. I think that the the bullet bouncing around in the brain, the twenty two things, gotten a little bit blown out of proportion, like. Yeah, it happens, but it's still better if you're trying to kill someone and just shoot them with a forty five probably. Not if you're trying to be quiet. I mean, the idea is if you carry around like a little twenty two or like a 23 caliber, twenty three caliber, whatever, twenty five caliber, the idea is you can walk up, shoot someone in the back of the head out in public, and no one's really going to hear it as much as if you take a giant forty five and put it against someone's dome and make a huge mess.
1: Apparently, Wild would get extremely agitated, leave for a few days, then return completely calm. She knew that while he was out, he was killing, as he referred to Teresa as his protege and wanted her to take part in the murders. She went along with it, too scared of him to say no, even picking up the woman she was supposed to kill and driving her around for a few hours before taking her home unharmed.
0: No, not everyone is cut out for murder. Yeah, can you imagine that you just are trying to get into some weird three-way shit with the couple and the next thing you know they're... Fucking having you murder people or bring back people to be murdered? Yeah, that's kind of a hard left when you're proposing a three-way.
1: Beganwald was irritated she didn't go through with it, so he went down to the boardwalk alone and found Anna sitting alone waiting for her friend to come back from the bathroom. He offered her a joint, and when they finished it, told her he had more at his house.
0: Never go to a second location with anyone that offers you drugs. No, you just smoke the first joint. And as long as you don't pass out, you leave. Yeah, if you, if they come to you, they have drugs, and you're in an area where you can smoke it, smoke it, do your thing, but leave. Never go to a second location.
1: That is also terrible advice. Don't take drugs from someone just walking up to you, take offering drugs them to from you. from
0: strangers. They're free. They're not free on the strip in Vegas, and they're usually not good.
1: She agreed to go back with him and waited in the car while he ran inside. His plan was to wake Teresa up and have her kill Anna, but she refused to get out of bed, so Beganwald killed her himself.
0: Ah, she won't get out of bed. Guess I gotta go do this myself.
1: The next night, he took Teresa to the garage and showed her Anna's body, which he'd hidden under a mattress.
0: Why Where's the people in hiding bodies under mattresses? Is they're available, so you stick them there?
1: I don't know anyone that just has mattresses available. I know, right? I guess they probably weren't as expensive back then, though, because they weren't, like, the Serta ones that are... Well, this
0: is Jersey, so they were probably full of lice and dirty skin and stuff. They cost $75 to have someone come pick it up and take it away for you. So yeah, people in Jersey, they just throw them in the river. Hey, just throw that in the river. Grab that mattress.
1: Police quickly got a search warrant for Beganwald and Fitzgerald's apartments, but had to create a plan to safely arrest them. Begenwald was obviously violent, and Fitzgerald had a charge for holding two officers hostage during a robbery gone wrong. They decided that they would have an undercover officer pose as a burglar and make a big commotion of arresting him to draw Begenwald out of the apartment, hopefully out of sight of Fitzgerald.
0: The idea was that they would, have, they would send police there to arrest a fake burglar.
1: Yes, because they needed him out of the apartment.
0: Okay, so they were just trying to rouse them both out of the apartment and take him at the same time? Okay, basically, he sense. couldn't. I thought they'd come out and be looky lures.
1: Yeah, basically. Because they, they couldn't let him go back into the apartment, otherwise he might get a gun and there might be a shootout. That so to draw him out and then have officers, they were going to have the burglar like go up, be like, do you recognize this guy? And then just snag him, basically.
0: That is some pretty good police work right there. Pretty tricky plan.
1: Their plan almost failed, but they took a split-second chance and tackled beegan They went over to Fitzgerald's apartment, pushing past his girlfriend and searching every room, but he was nowhere to be found. Fortunately, Teresa had told them she'd heard he had a secret room somewhere, so they pulled on things hanging off the walls until they found it. Inside, Fitzgerald sat with a rifle next to him. He gave up immediately, though, as there was a child inside the apartment. What
0: kind of crazy apartment is this that has... Enough room in the walls to make a secret hiding place like every apartment I've ever been in. Your wall borders your neighbor and you can hear them yelling at each other at night. Yeah, I don't get it either. Unless it was, it's there in a closet or something.
1: It was a really small it was basically a two story house and um, there was four apartments.
0: So we had a room under the stairs like Harry Potter, I'll bet you.
1: Inside both apartments there were homemade bombs everywhere. Cigarette lighters had been made into makeshift twenty two caliber weapons, which police found out about when one tried lighting his cigarette. Fitzgerald had guns in every room and Beganwald a MAC-10. In the middle of the floor in Beganwald's living room, a massive hole had been cut out of the floor to allow easy access into the basement.
0: Most people just use the door and the stairs. It's pretty easy access to the basement.
1: They found the gun used to kill Anna in Fitzgerald's apartment, but the ammo in Biegenwald's.
0: I mean, he probably borrowed the gun. I just think they were keeping it separate. Can't charge us with the crime if we got it all separate. Sure. That's what they were thinking.
1: At the station, neither would speak to police. They stayed silent until April, when Fitzgerald's lawyer contacted police and said he was ready to talk, as long as the murder charge against him was dropped.
0: Oh he was rolling over for those belly rubs.
1: They agreed and he began by telling him that he'd helped dispose of Anna's body after Beganwald called him for help. He'd also help chop up the body of another woman and place him- he'd also helped chop up the body of another woman and place it in garbage bags before taking them to Beganwald's mother's home to bury them.
0: It's kind of crazy. He was like the Robin to the Biegenwald Batman. Like Basically. Like his sidekick, his partner in crime.
1: He didn't ever kill anyone. He just helped get rid of the bodies. He's I think just... it was more of like a prison friendship.
0: So a really good friend.
1: As he dug the grave, he hit the body of another woman buried in the same spot. On September 21st or 22nd, he had gotten in a fight with his and Biegenwald's business partner, so Beaganwald shot the man in the head, killing him. In the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, he'd helped bury yet another woman Beaconwald had murdered. Fitzgerald agreed to take them to every one of the bodies.
0: So what's the murder count up to now? Do we know?
1: This is six, I believe. Okay. Or no, this is five.
0: I think that his biggest mistake was just pretty much burying the bodies. If he was maybe, say, head, say the head of sanitation, he could have gotten rid of those bodies a lot easier. Now, see, the mafia doesn't care if the bodies are found. They want the bodies are found, to be found because they're usually a message.
1: They first went to find the body of 17-year-old Betsy Bacon, said to be buried in a wooded area of Tenton Falls. She had left her home around 11 p.m. on November twentieth, nineteen 1982, to go buy a pack of cigarettes. When her parents awoke the next morning, they realized she had never come home. Detectives dug all day, in the area Fitzgerald remembered burying Betsy but found nothing. Right as they were about to leave, one officer noticed a hand sticking out of the ground. Betsy had died from a 22 caliber bullet to the head.
0: How did they miss the hand sticking out of the ground? Because no one's looking for high fives below their knees.
1: Because he pointed to an area and he said there, and they dug there. They weren't looking through the entire field, basically.
0: I think maybe there was just a box covering it and then it blew away. Probably that was it. Or someone kicked the box walking off the field. Oh, nuts. Didn't find anything, chief. And then you go, hang on. Oh, gotta go shake this dude's hand. Hang on. They
1: next searched the cemetery in Neptune where Fitzgerald said William Ward, their business partner, was buried. His body was found exactly where Fitzgerald said it would be. He'd been shot in the head five times. Detectives spent the next day preparing an affidavit for the search of Beganwald's mother's home, as it was in New York, not New Jersey. Once it was approved, they didn't even have to begin digging to know there were bodies buried in the spot Fitzgerald had pointed them to.
0: Because there was a leg left sticking out of the ground?
1: No, because of the smell.
0: Ah, yes, that's much less comical.
1: Maria Chaya was the first one buried there a year before. She'd gone missing October 31st, 1981, while walking down the highway. She'd been shot twice. Buried above her was Deborah Osborne, who'd been chopped up and placed into garbage bags. She'd gone missing on April 5th, 1982, after hitchhiking to a bar with a friend. That friend went to the restroom, and when she returned, Deborah was gone. She had been stabbed 21 times.
0: That's a lot of stabby. Why was she chopped up and put in a garbage bag instead of just put in the hole like the other, like the other victim?
1: Um, I think she was stabbed and chopped up because he was more frustrated. Biegenwald was arraigned May 20th, 1983, and his trial date set to June, which would be pushed back to November in hopes the media would calm down and not pollute a jury pool. While detectives were waiting for the trial, they began looking into other possible victims. One of those was John Patron, who had gone missing in June 1978. Biegenwald was the last one to see him. Patrone had tried to extort money from Biegenwald's mother, and then agreed to go target shooting with Biegenwald not long after. He was never seen again.
0: If you're trying to blackmail an old lady and then her creepy, carrot-top-looking murder spawn asks you to go target practicing, presumably in a remote area, just don't go. Solid advice.
1: One man knew where Patron was buried and took detectives there after the threat of a grand jury. They found Patron's body, but not his head. The informant was too terrified of being to testify against him, so they are unable to charge him with the murder.
0: I wonder where the head went. He was keeping it in case, like, he needed it as a... What, like a bartering technique later? Well, so my... he could get a head? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> my thing is, well, this is a little different than any of his other murders, right? Like, mm-hmm. none of the other ones were found headless. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, he did chop up the one girl.
0: Yeah, I guess. Maybe he just dropped the head. As he was trying to dispose of the body, he dropped it. It rolled down a hill. He said, that's gone. Shit. It's a little different for serial killers to change up their murder method. A whole bunch, right? Or is it just him, like, kind of looking for his style? Because he shot people, he stabbed people, he chopped people's heads off. He says, they can't catch you if you don't have an M.O.
1: I think the more pissed off he was at his victim, the worse he basically did their body.
0: That makes sense. So what kind of killer would you describe this person as?
1: I mean, he's a serial killer. They can change their M.O. without having to change their title, basically.
0: Okay. But is he, like, a product killer? But is he after the body? Is he after the... The enjoy enjoyment of killing people? What is he...
1: No, there's no product. He kills them and buries them. He just wants to kill them.
0: Does he take trophies? No trophies? Maybe a head?
1: Maybe a head. He took a ring from Anna, but he gave that to his girlfriend, so I think that wasn't really a trophy for himself.
0: just a repurpose. He's like, ah, free ring. My girl's gonna love this.
1: Another woman, 17-year-old Virginia Clayton, is thought to be one of Beacon victims. She went missing September eighth, nineteen 1982, and her body was recovered three days later in a ditch. There was not enough evidence to prove Beganwald was her murderer.
0: It just fits his M.O.?
1: Basically. he was a, She was found four miles away from Patron. Right before his trial was set to begin, Beganwald offered to take detectives to 25 bodies if the death penalty would be taken off the table. They did not want to risk losing the cases they already had and wanted him to receive the death penalty, so they declined.
0: You think he really had 25 more victims that he could take the police to?
1: No, I doubt it. He didn't have enough time.
0: Just making shit up to try to get himself off? I don't know. Teresa did say he went out a lot and would come back like three days later and be a completely different person.
1: Yeah, but realistically, he only had between like 80 and 82. So
0: Yeah, you'd have to kill like a person a month. That's a lot. Yeah. Could happen. I mean, possible. I guess we'll never know.
1: Guess not. His first trial began November 28, 1983, and lasted until December 6. The jury deliberated for five hours before finding him guilty of first-degree murder, gun possession, and multiple drug charges. Six more hours of deliberation later, and he was sentenced to death. His second trial for William Ward's murder also ended in a guilty verdict. The jury deadlocked on sentencing, so he was given life without possibility of parole. Beganwald chose to plead guilty to Maria Chaya and Deborah Osborne's murders, and was given 30 years for each, the maximum sentence.
0: They have to have a, a anonymous uh, jury in order to give you the old death penalty, right?
1: What do you mean anonymous?
0: Oh, uh, not anonymous. Unanimous. Unanimous. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, you still do. Okay. I'm pretty sure you have to have a unanimous well, jury for death.
0: Was, I think this is the point where it wasn't up to the jury to do the sentencing. says so the were... jury was deadlocked on sentencing. Oh, maybe. Okay. It
1: was in the 70s that the Supreme Court changed it.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Nice.
1: On August 8th, 1991, the New Jersey Supreme Court ruled there was problems with Beganwald's original death penalty trial in order to retrial. The jury deadlocked on sentencing, and he was given 30 years.
0: That's their go-to number. We can't figure That's this shit out.
1: the m- maximum sentence. Later that year, he pled guilty to Betsy Bacon's murder. In total, Richard Beganwald was found guilty of six murders, but suspected of eight. He died of respiratory failure from lung cancer and kidney failure on March tenth, two 2008, at the age of 68.
0: I mean, he had been smoking for 60 years.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised he lived that long.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Good old kidney failure.
1: After his death, his attorney came forward and said Begenwald had claimed to have killed over 100 people. He said he would test his homemade weapons, usually on prostitutes, then dump their bodies in dumpsters. We'll never know exactly how many people died at his hands.
0: So aside from schizophrenia, which, you know, doesn't always drive people, actually doesn't usually drive people to kill, do we know of any other factors in his mental state that could cause him to basically use all these human beings as guinea pigs for his lousily built half-assed apocalypse weapons?
1: I mean, he was definitely a psychopath. We don't know for sure that he killed anyone with his homemade weapons. That was just his claim. Because every other murder was either a knife or a legitimate gun.
0: Oh, so like... They, they know that the twenty twos came from guns and not his weird little lighter devices and stuff?
1: Yes. All of them were. That's why he got gun possession charges.
0: Oh, so he was just making shit up about being a, an anarchist, basically.
1: Yeah. I don't... They never used any... Him and Fitzgerald never used any of the bombs or anything that they made. It was all guns. So Purchased don't be, guns.
0: don't be an anarchist? I don't even think these people were technically anarchists. They just had a cookbook. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a murderer. Is that it for uh, Richard... Beganwald? Yes, it is. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, Corners at gmail.com.
1: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime.
0: Don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And we have a new website out for you guys. It is fourcornerscrimecast.com, F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast.com. You can head over there, check out a full episode list, and submit any ideas you guys might have. Or you can get a sticker in our shop for free. Enter the promo code Bingo Bango, and we'll get it shipped out to you ASAP. So just remember this week, stay away from coughing, hacking sick people, and don't be a murderer. Hey guys, thanks for listening.
1: Don't get your money to people.
0: Yeah, give Peep some money. Give Peep the money.
1: See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.
0: His alter ego
1: doesn't eat meat. Vegan (laughs) (laughs)